0: Entertainment.
1: The Journey to the Draft is driven by Triple A. Triple A Roadside is their strong side. Make Triple A a part of your game day today. Triple A, go ahead.
2: With the 25th pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select.
1: You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by Triple A. Welcome to the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and we've got a lot of ground to cover today. The national championship game is set. Nearly every bowl game has been played. The NFL regular season is over, which means we've got the first 18 picks Set so far for mock drafts at home, the Senior Bowls making a couple final tweaks to the roster, it is all becoming more clear, it's all coming into greater focus as we get closer and closer to the pre-draft process. But for this episode, we're going to start things off the same way we have started so many episodes over the last few months, and that's with our Scout story segment. Eagles College Scouting Director Anthony Patch is back on the show to talk about Eagles right tackle Lane Johnson and what it was like scouting him coming out of Oklahoma a few years ago, what were the memories of him? Him, and what were some of the things that we could take away from the projection and the development of Lane Johnson we'll touch on that right at the top of the show afterwards we will transition to Saturday scouting where Ben Fennel Dane Bruehler and I will go through our big takeaways from the biggest bowl games in the last week including the playoff games the Rose Bowl the Sugar Bowl who were some of the guys that helped themselves most with big performances we will cover that in that segment and after that we will transition to our on the clock segment where We can now turn our focus towards next week because on Monday night, next Monday night, the Alabama Crimson Tide take on the Ohio State Buckeyes and Chris McPherson returns to the show this week to help us decide. Which player can help himself most with a big night in the national championship? We will hash it out here in that segment. Then we wrap things up with our draft mailbag. We've got a quick offensive line related question from one of our listeners at home. and We will cover that up to finish the show. Before we get to the start, though, just a quick reminder. Jump onto our Apple podcast page. Do us that great favor. Leave us the rating. Leave us a comment. Whether it's a mock draft, a question about a specific player, or just a philosophical discussion like we, what we're going to have here uh, at the end of the day. It's a great way to get things going here in the new year. The draft season is upon us If you make, to help us out. Or it really does a huge favor for us to make this show more available to others. All you have to do, it takes 10 seconds. Go on to wherever you listen to the show leave a rating leave a comment really really it does us a huge huge favor helps make us more available to other fans that are hoping to find an nfl draft podcast thanks so much to everybody who has done that so far all right let's get the show going let's start back in 2013 the pick of lane johnson with the fourth overall selection it's time for scout stories pull up a seat it's time for scout stories Well, joining us this week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast to talk about Eagles offensive tackle Lane Johnson is Senior Director of College Scouting, Anthony Patch. Patch, welcome back to the show, man. I want to talk about Lane Johnson, uh, the first-round pick back in 2013. Interested to kind of get your memories on Lane coming out of college and uh, you know, the impact that you pr- expected from him, I guess, uh, you know, throughout the course of his NFL career based off what you saw at Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, Lane's it was an interesting case. You know, we had the fourth pick, you know, and uh, so we th- felt strongly we were going to get a strong player, you know, and we did. You know, uh, Lane didn't have the, you know, you look at the top two picks there with Fisher and Jokel, they had a more, they're at one place for the whole time, you know, Fisher being at Central for four years and Jokel at AM. And, you know, Lane had a less, uh, more traveled road, um, being a JC kid and just changing positions. I mean, he was more a projection uh, more than any of those two there. You know, Stout, I'll give all you know credit to Andy Spire was down there on the visit for us uh, at Oklahoma. And Stoutland did it over and beyond a work with him, uh, you know, the post-season uh, process, you know, private workouts and so forth. Um, but, you know, he was a J.C. kid. You know, he played the tight end quarterback, went to Oklahoma. They didn't know where to put him at first, I think, the defensive end. And then settled down at, at, at offensive tackle. And, you know, looking back at Lane, you looked at him in person. I saw him at the, the Cotton Bowl that year. You're like, holy cow, this kid still can grow. I mean, he was 300 pounds-ish. And, I, you know, played at A&M, and he had a standout game. And I remember going to the Cotton Bowl that year, and you go on the field, and this guy's got p- painted black face, and he's <laughs> he's into it. and you know it, it was like a more selling point, and he went up against the more kid that ended up going to the giants for me and him and shut him down that year or in that game, and it was just like, holy cow, this is it and he played right tackle left tackle through the year you know thirty five inch arms and he just looked at as lower a half, and you're like, you know this kid could get bigger Stoutland did an unbelievable job that year I remember the in the you know he was sold on the kid you know almost immediately and um you know, he's proven to be a, you know, best right tackle. You know, we always thought you could put him over at left, but, you know, he settled in. Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to find a better uh, athletic right tackle uh, in the league right now.
1: And it, it's so f- interesting talking about offensive linemen because I feel like, you know, there's, there's obviously an allure towards the guys that, uh, you know, this guy was a four-year starter and a three-year captain. And he's got, you know, X amount of starts, X amount of reps under his belt. But I feel like there's also so many guys that, you know, maybe made that transition to the offensive line late in their careers or, you know, they played defensive line or they played tight end. You know, obviously Jason Peters, a great example of that, that went on to become great players. I remember reading, uh, you know, may rest in peace, Howard Mudd's book, um, you know, a couple summers ago. And he talked about all the great offensive linemen that, you know, made that move from one position or another late. You know, they didn't accept offensive line until late in their career when you have a guy that, you know, where the arrow could potentially be pointing up, what is, what is the, the feeling when you're trying to make that projection? Obviously, there's a
0: little bit more risk involved, right? Yeah, no question. And that, you know, that's what I think, you know, we saw in that draft, you know, but you look at those first two tackles, like I said, you saw those guys play for three years. And Fisher, four years, but yep. Jokal was a three-year guy. And so there is, there's more risk, you know, uh, in a guy that, you know, was whatever weight at Kilgore, how's he going to translate, you know, going to Oklahoma, he did well. And still you're seeing the body develop in the frame. So you're seeing a kid and the learning and everything. Yeah. There's definitely more risk Evolve, no question, but that's why you do more and more. And, you know, we got more familiar with them. top 30 visits, you know, workouts, combine the whole, the whole thing. And then you think in more risk, but there's you know, there's a lot more upside with this kid. And I think you look, we felt pretty good with those top three picks of that draft. Sure.
1: Well, Patch, really appreciate you joining us once again to talk about uh, Eagles offensive tackle Lane Johnson. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Fran. Look forward to next time. Alright, so I hope you guys enjoyed that segment there with Anthony Patch, who has just been so gracious with his time all season long. Uh, big takeaways there. For me, um, look, I, I remember that draft. Uh, we were doing the Journey to the Draft podcast, or just getting ready to start the Journey to the Draft podcast that season, and I think when you look uh, back at the development of or the projection of Lane, you know, Patch mentioned it there. You had those three uh, three tackles at the top. You had Eric Fisher, who was the small school kid, but a four-year starter, really athletic, you know, you know super high upside, but then you had Lane Johnson, who was even more a high upside, less experience from a bigger school, and then you had the the Mr. Reliable uh, from Texas A&M, from the SEC, in uh, Luke Jokel. So you had three guys, really interesting stories, and uh, I think for my you know for my money, I think Lane has certainly turned out to be the best player of the three. And I think when you look uh, at Lane, I think there are a couple big takeaways there to take from Patch. I think number one, it's the what can a guy be down the road versus what is he now. Right, because I think you know when you go back and you watch Lane Johnson, his rookie year, his second year, he had some problems with anchoring, with dropping down uh, and holding up against a bull rush at times. His play strength needed to get better as he got bigger, as he got stronger. And, and Patch talked about that. You know, you looked at his lower half and you say, "Man, this guy can continue to get bigger." Guess what? He got bigger. He got stronger. And I think a big part of that, and he alluded to the, the relationship that Lane had was able to create was able to foster there with offensive line coach Jeff Statland who was in his first offseason with the team at that point and you could see how something like that this is this is where really the role of the coach during this process becomes very very important because and it's not necessarily just a coach it could be with a scout or a personnel man or an executive when you're able to create those relationships and really kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what a guy is made of and what his makeup is, now you get the sense of can he reach his upside. That's really what you're talking about is the ability to reach your ceiling and then maintain that. Are you always going to try and get better? That's where that character, the football character, you know, the work ethic, all those buzzwords that we hear all the time, that's where that comes into play. That's why that's so important because if you are not the guy – that's going to be you know, putting in the hard work and is, you know, who's made up of all the right stuff and is going to do all the right things, then there's a less possibility that you're going to reach your ceiling. right? So I think ultimately uh, when you look at Lane, he had the right makeup. He had all the physical tools. The Eagles gave him the opportunity, and he certainly paid dividends for this team. And the reason why I thought it was cool to roll this one here this week was because the Eagles – Obviously, now they're picking six overall. Uh, and so this is going to be a big offseason. You know, you, uh, Pat said it actually in that interview. He talked about Lane. He said, Look, we, we were picking at number four overall. We knew we had to come out with a great player. We came out with a great player. And when you look at the Eagles in their history over the course of, uh, you know, the last 15, 20 years, when they have picked. High in the draft, top 10, top 12, top five. You know, they typically have come away with guys that have turned into Pro Bowl talents. And I think, you know, this is another good opportunity here uh, for this team, for this organization to come up with another big time player. So uh, thanks again to Anthony Patch for joining us here. Hope you guys have enjoyed this segment. We've got a few more uh, in the can that will continue to roll out. That being said, though, let's get into this weekend's top buzz items. We've got Saturday Scouting, Dane Brugler, Ben Fennel. Let's get things rolling.
3: It's time for Saturday Scouting. All
1: right, well, let's talk some college football playoff action as I welcome in Ben Fennel and Dane Brugler. Guys, before we get to this weekend's games, I want to first touch on three names that the Senior Bowl added uh, to, their, uh, to their roster here over the last couple of days. Now, number one, Oklahoma Center Creed Humphrey, who uh, was one of the top interior offensive linemen in the country, entering the season, three-year starter for the Sooners. Dane, uh overall thoughts on uh, Creed Humphrey heading down to
3: Mobile? Happy to see it. Uh, you know, I was talking with Jim Nagy a couple a uh, couple months ago, and he mentioned that Creed is going to get an invite uh, because he was uh, on set to graduate, and so I was just thinking the whole time, you know, hopefully he, he accepts because that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, and, and he did, so he's a player that I don't, I don't think that he's, he's that first round guy that that's just not who he is. In my opinion, uh, you know, he's got a little bit shorter arms. He's, you know, he, he, I don't know that he has any elite traits, but he plays with, with decent quickness, good placement. You can, you can tell he's a former wrestler with the way, he, uh, he, he plays and he grapples. Uh, the mean streak is consistent. It's not forced. Uh, So there's just so much to like about him as a just a solid center prospect. Not I don't think he's special. I don't think he's a first round guy. But who knows? Maybe he can try and change that narrative uh, down there in Mobile. And then he's obviously a
1: guy that was able to replace another interior offensive lineman that we've talked about. Boston College's Zion Johnson announced that he was returning to Boston College uh, for the 2021 season. So he will not
2: obviously uh, be going down to Mobile then. You know, and with Landon Dickerson's obviously accepted invite and then injury, they may still add a center or two because when you look up and down this guard center group is really how they categorize it. It's a lot of hybrid players out there. You have Robert Hainsey who played tackle at, you know, Notre Dame. David Moore is pretty much a guard. Zion Johnson was a tackle guard. I don't see a whole lot of true centers in this group outside of Creed and Michael Minette at Penn State. Yep, That's a good point. Uh, well, they did add
1: another Oklahoma offensive lineman in offensive tackle, Adrian Ealy. My understanding, more on the right side over the course of his career. Ben, uh,
2: thoughts on Adrian Ealy heading to the senior bowl? Yeah, experienced player. uh, Two-year starter at right tackle. Did start the first game this year at left tackle. I didn't watch that tape or to see if it was maybe a disaster or what happened. But then he went back to right tackle, finished the rest of the season. But he's a big old boy at right tackle out there. Just another name to have to do a lot of work uh, in this deep, deep tackle class. But really good opportunity for him that maybe is uh, a little of the lesser known uh, with a really deep tackle group. Well, the last name I want to hit on actually comes from the Pac-12,
1: and that's Cal corner Cameron Bynum. Dane, uh, I know this was a guy that was on pretty much everybody's radar coming into the season. He initially opted out, right, and then opted back in. Uh, thoughts on Cameron Bynum heading to the Senior Bowl?
3: Uh, this is a guy that coaches are going to love. Uh, he's a football junkie. Each drink's breathes the game. Uh, he's constantly working on how to improve. Uh, yeah, team captain for a reason. Uh, really like his ball skills really like his toughness he has length it's just he's not a great athlete and that's tough to mask at the nfl level so he's not quick twitch um i would say his athleticism is maybe average at best uh for for the position um and so you know if he loses at the line of scrimmage he's cooked uh you know the lack of speed is a glaring concern um, you see, uh, you know his hip actions average, uh, the transition quickness average, um, and so if he if he fall, falls behind, if he loses a step, it's it's tough for him to recover, and that's that's going to be something that is going to be evident during one on ones and mobile. So uh, he needs to play, uh, you know, mistake free football during practice at the Senior Bowl.
2: Yeah, he's one of the most experienced defensive backs in the country. Four-year starter, 42 games started, nearly 2,700 snaps. Probably the best performance against Brandon Ayuk last year at Arizona State. Thought he really got his hands on him well on the line of scrimmage there. But again, like Dane said... The athleticism I have in my note lacks the long speed. He might be a guy you end up projecting to move to safety, a lot like the way Paulson Adebo is kind of uh, his position still being determined as far as other Pac-12 corners. But Cameron Bynum is a guy that thought about coming out in 2019, thought about coming out in 2020, and now he's finally uh, here for a swan song.
1: And, uh, Dane, to your point, I remember talking with Ashton Davis, the Cal free safety, last spring. And uh, we we're just talk- I was talking to him about, like, just his work habits and, uh, you know, what he did for game prep. And he was telling me, yeah, like one of my teammates, he hosted all of us at his house every single week, every single Sunday. And we would watch film and start early to look at the opponent. And it was Cam Bynum's house. He was the one that was hosting all of those mm, uh, weekly cool. meetings mm. uh, with his DBs. So uh, certainly something to keep That's out. a fun defense.
2: Yeah. Coney Dang, Cameron Good. There's some good players at every level.
1: They've, I mean, they recruit well and they, they develop talent. They've had a lot of guys come and kind of come through there and go up to the NFL so far in just a few years uh, with that staff. Um, All right, guys, that being said uh, let's now transition to this weekend's action and let's take to our, uh, to our game balls. And uh, I'll start uh, with the Rose bowl in Alabama, Notre Dame. I would say this one went about as we expected. We expected Alabama to roll uh, and they did. And Devante Smith, we expected him to continue to show out and, He did. He was outstanding. Once again, I mean, you know, the the guy just continues to post up ridiculous numbers. His abilities at the catch point are just bananas. I mean, he is, he is so automatic. Uh, He plays the ball really well in the air. There's the difference between ball skills and hands. I feel like that's lost sometimes with people uh, in evaluating receivers is the difference between those areas and, you know, ball skills to be able to, attract, uh, attract the ball, put, address the football in the air, play it, you know, you know, going up and, and f- fighting in a crowd. And then the hands is the actual catching of the football. He's a plus in both. I mean, he is just outstanding uh, at going up and winning. I, you know, the, the route running is good. He's solid and the ability to, you know, to, to create separation. That's all well and good. He's he's able to create yards after catch. We saw him on special teams in this game. That kind of speaks to his toughness and his football character as well. Uh, but to me, I mean, Devonte Smith, uh, what else can you say? I mean, he was the offensive player of the game. Once again, uh, in you know, in this one, he was outstanding against Notre Dame. I
3: mean, what haven't we said about yeah, right. right. He's just, he's, he's so talented and it's just, he's a joy to watch. I mean, I, I there were a few times in that uh, in the semifinal game against Notre Dame where he took a hard hit and that, I think that's maybe the biggest concern. It's not yep. that he's not tough or, you know, it's just, when you have a body type that's 175 pounds and you're very lean muscled and look, this is not a guy that's going to just put on 10 pounds. Like it's nothing. He does not have that body composition. Did you uh, watch did you watch the
1: post game? Like the trophy presentation and stuff, Dave?
3: Uh, yeah. Where he was just, uh, enveloped by that, uh, that t- big t-shirt he had on <laughs> like literally like I texted Ben after I was like he is you just seeing him without the the pads on like
1: he's right. so skinny I mean that's that's the knock that's the qu- the question that's the concern
3: right and it's not it's not and again it's not a lack of toughness it's yeah. not that he does it because he and he plays with relatively uh impressive play strength for a guy that that, that size but when you're getting hit it, it, the body can only take so much when you're that size and you don't have a lot of body armor on you so that's going to be the biggest knock against him and there's i don't think there's really anything he can do by that in terms of you know uh you know i mean he he can point to the fact that he hasn't had any major injuries but still some teams are going to be skeptical uh and i'm not talking about he's going to fall uh, you know out of the top 20 i'm I'm saying skeptical like maybe he won't go top five top seven um you know for every team but that if we're going to you know, have a knock on him. Some of those hits that Notre Dame was putting on him, uh, that that's kind of, that that's what we're going to hear about.
2: Over the last three years combined, he has over 500 yards, more yards after catch than the next best receiver. He's way out in front. Yep. So my question is, will he be a yak guy at the next level with that frame? Obviously it's something that you'd be like, ah, oh, well, does it have the wear and tear? Is he going to be able to go over the middle? Does he have the speed to be the yak guy Or would a team feel much more comfortable with a Kadarius Tony, Rondell Moore, Amari Rogers, uh, if he's going to be that RPO in breaker yards after catch guy? And when you're looking at the return on investment
1: for those guys versus Devontae Smith. Uh, I think that that's going to be the interesting debate uh, with a lot of people is ultimately how, how does Devontae Smith win? What role will he play in our offense? Are we going to do some of the things that Alabama has done to allow him to be successful and you know put him in position uh, to be able to put up those kinds of numbers? He is a fun player and you know checks a lot of boxes. But uh, as Dane mentioned, as you guys have highlighted, uh, really throughout the fall, those are going to be the questions there uh, with Devontae Smith. So uh, that being said, guys, like I said, the Alabama Notre Dame game went about as we expected. Let's spend a little bit of time going through this Ohio State Clemson game. Dane, I'll come to you first. Uh, who got your game ball? I think this one was kind of a slam dunk.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's got to be Justin Fields. He played the best game we've ever seen uh, from Justin Field That's plain and simple. Uh, a night and day performance compared to how he played earlier this season. I thought he was uh, specifically outstanding in two areas. Uh, first, the toughness uh, to take that hit by Skalski uh, and somehow stay in the game and continue to play at a high level—that uh, was admirable. Is exciting to see. Um, I just just a really that's what you want from your quarterback. Uh, and then second, uh, the ball placement—he put the ball on his receivers uh, using touch, using precision. Uh, sometimes with a fastball, sometimes uh, you know with that deep shot. Uh, with, you know, lofting the ball over coverage. So, you know, the box score is crazy. 385 yards passing, six touchdown passes. And I don't even think that does him justice. So, you know, th- that touchdown throw to Ruckert in the second quarter, the tight end, that was the most impressive to me. Ruckert ran that great route, uh, you know, leveraging the inside passing lane by, by taking his man uh, towards the corner before bending back to the post. Uh, and then field just made a perfect throw uh, with zip to put it uh, on Rucker before the safety uh, in the middle of the field can intervene. And uh, you know, this is just going to be a really fascinating topic because uh, it just, it's interesting how this is going to affect fields in the eyes of NFL scouts when it comes to, where does he fall uh, in the NFL draft among these quarterbacks? And, you know, it's funny. I I heard from plenty of people on Twitter because, you know, I've had Zach Wilson, BYU's quarterback, at number two as my number two quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence for, you know, the last month or so. Uh, and, What Fields did doesn't completely erase my questions I have with him, uh, but he played so much faster than how he played the entire season. And so it's just, it's a really fascinating development, and it's going to make this quarterback two discussion, I think, a lot tougher uh, because whether or not, you know, it's people or teams would admit this, what Fields did late in the season and on that stage, it matters uh, more so than if he did this, Uh, you know, in uh, October against Penn State or whatever. So uh, I I think ultimately I keep coming back to quarterbacks two, three, and four. And I've been saying this all season, quarterbacks two, three, and four in this draft, there's just not going to be a consensus. Some teams are going to fully buy into what Fields did and say that – you know that's the quarterback we're getting, and you know we think it could be even better. Some are going to say point to the concerns that you saw against Indiana, Northwestern, and Michigan State, Penn State, the the questions we saw all season, and say you know uh, because of that, and because Zach Wilson is so talented, he's going to be our number two quarterback on our board. And then there's still Trey Lance out there, so it, it's just a fascinating conversation when we talk about all these quarterbacks and how they fit. Um, you know, for different teams, so it's just it's just going to be a really fun discussion here in the next few months.
2: I think Twitter wants you to update your big board after every drive. Yeah, yeah. that's
3: it, it's true. I, it, people have <laughs> I, it,
2: that's why I, I didn't bother. Where do you have him now, Dane? Where is right, he now? Exactly. Incompletion. <laughs> it, it, it's
3: impossible to have some of these conversations on Twitter because of the nuance that's that's required. Um, you know, because even with even with Fields' performance and as good as he was. I, the play calling was maybe even better than fields and now fields still had to make those throws, but a lot of those plays, he's going to that first read. He's staring down where he's going. And the Clemson defense was just
2: terrible. Even the that saf- throw, that beautiful scene, throw to the tight end, stared him down immediately, exactly. immediately too, this, but he it, fired it in there.
3: The safety play was just so bad that they, it didn't really matter. Uh, fields give him all the credit in the world because he made those throws uh, it, it, but a, a lot of the stuff, uh, you know, the play calling certainly helped and so did the bad defense. So
2: Twitter, Twitter's a fan's world. They're emotional. They're in the moment. They're right. dramatic. They live and die on every play. It just kind of is what it is. But I gonna go on the defensive side of the ball. You guys took the low hanging fruit with the studs on offense, Devonte Smith, Justin Fields. This guy was the best defender on the field in any of the games. So that's four defensive units. That's Ohio state defensive tackle, Tommy Togiai. And it's not the Sean Wades or Patrick Sertans or Dylan Moses or Moore's of the world. Tommy Togiai has been the best defensive player for Ohio State from the start of the season to this moment. And he proved it in that game against Clemson. Remember, guys, he played nine snaps last year in this game. Yesterday or over the weekend, he played 40-something. was the best player on the field. Quick off the ball, stout, heavy-handed, active barely played the last two years he was Idaho Gatorade player of the year showed up on the freak list this summer for some benches and squats he is a really really fun player to watch and I had no problem putting down my comp this week Fletcher Cox friend and he is that good he is that stout he's that heavy-handed plays that with that much motor and range he's an impressive player I felt from the inside out he was the difference in the game changer for that Ohio State defense. Maybe he didn't make those splash plays to get his name called on TV too often. I think he did have a sack. But when you put on the film, I'm not sure if you guys have gotten it to it yet, you'll see this number 72 dominating, mostly one tech, some two-eye stuff, uh, but he'll be dominating. Whether you want to put on the Penn State game to start the year or the Clemson game, wire to wire, number 72 for Ohio State has been dominant guys real quick
1: because I initially wanted to make my game ball Chris Olave but then when I realized that we were only talking about Ohio State players I switched over to Devontae Smith so we could talk about that game a little Dude, Chris Olave is a stud and needs to be talked about with these top receivers in this draft. I mean, you know, signs are that he's going to be uh, going into this class. I mean, outstanding feet, great hands, the route running, the snap in and out of breaks. He's so explosive in the first five, six, seven yards. And then when you talk about uh, that twitch at the top of routes and that ability to separate, like, you just check so many boxes. I mean, him tracking that deep ball over the shoulder, uh, that was almost my one-play takeaway uh, here today. I just – Chris Olave is really, really good and needs to be talked about more often as one of the top players overall in this draft.
2: And he's going to be facing a little different style this week, a lot more press man from yeah. Alabama. Clemson played a lot of that kind of bail zone stuff, so he had a lot of free access in getting to that second and third levels of the defense. You give him a step or two and a clean release, forget it. He's going to climb up on corners, eat up that cushion, and before you know it, safeties are turning, and running, and panicking. Yeah, I think that's going to be
3: – the matchup I can't wait to see the most this uh, uh, in this title game is you know it, it, whether it's Sertan, whether it's Josh Job, uh, how does Alavi assert himself uh, against these big physical uh, corners that just. They rarely, uh, you know, let guys over the top, and that's really how Alave thrives. Uh, that's what he did against Clemson, and you know, Alabama is a little more buttoned down uh, on defense. Uh, and so, it's it's really going to be interesting to see how Alave, if he can get open, if he can create his own spacing, and him and Justin Fields just seem to have a have a connection. Uh, you know, we saw it last year, and then this year, uh, it just it is really fun to watch. So, I, I agree with you, Fran. I think that. You know, the top three receivers, uh, you know, I, I don't know there's too much debate up there with Chase and Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle. But after that, there's there's a lot of intrigue about, you know, four through 10 and, uh, you know, how, how they stack up. But Olave is right there in that mix. He's just an easy player to like. I think we've got to start moving past the the questions about
1: production with the Ohio State receivers, and you know we've seen these guys come out of that program and be just so well-coached, and obviously they're recruiting at a high level, and some of the physical specimens that have come out uh, are so, so impressive, and I think Olave uh, next in line with that group. So uh, that being said, I mentioned the the -the over-the-shoulder catch that Olave made, nearly my one-play takeaway. What ended up being mine? One of the highlights, uh, especially early on for this Alabama-Notre Dame game, I mean, you guys saw it, but uh, in case our listeners did not, Najee Harris in the open field at 230-plus pounds, hurtling another human being uh, and not losing stride and still taking off down the sideline, uh, to me – had to be one of the more impressive uh, individual plays from this past weekend. Um, I know he had some drops in this game overall, but I think when you're looking at Najee Harris, what he's done this season, uh, you know, it's just, it's just been awesome to be able to watch a guy that size. He's got lighter feet than I thought, guys. I mean, coming into the year, I think that was kind of my question. Mm-hmm. is like, what is his – how much – what is his big play potential? You know, does he have that ability to be, um, you know, a true three-down back? Does he have just enough juice to be able to be that guy? I think he's answered that question in my mind uh, this year. I, he's been really, really impressive. And uh, that one play certainly will stick with me moving forward.
2: friend that tackler went high. He went <laughs> high and he still jumped over him. It didn't make any sense. Not like he was diving at his shoes or anything. Well, and that's, a, that's a move Najee Harris has gone with a few times in his career. And it yep. seems like it doesn't matter where the defender is, straight up and down, diving low, diving high. But do you guys remember seeing Jeremiah Wusakoromoa on the field at all over the weekend? I didn't. He was on the field quite a bit, didn't make a whole lot of plays. Why? Because Alabama's scheme plays off of these halfway nickel safety hybrid outside linebackers with their RPO schemes. And that kind of halfway player really determines the box counts and the leverages. And it's such an RPO-based offense, you can almost tell what Alabama was going to do based on where Wusu Koromoa was pre-snap. If he was drifted out to the perimeter, they're running it. If he's nosy in the box, they're throwing an RPO bubble or slant right behind him. And some of the biggest plays were playing off of his leverage. Some of those in-breaking slants that Devontae Smith took, you know, 50 yards. And I think Mechie took another one, 30 or 40 yards off the same concept. It's just reading Jeremiah Wustekoromoa's leverage and just playing off of him. And it's just really easy throws, easy concepts, easy offense for this Alabama Crimson Tide. And when you have a run game that's dominating like this, the RPOs then playing off of this with receivers that catch everything and run after the catch like it's nobody's business. I mean this offense is really really tough to stop and it's fun to watch Mac Jones, you know, uh the yep. first thing you I think of is the poise uh in the pocket and when he has that pressure uh closing in on him, but a really well-designed offense that I'm really excited for the University of Texas to get Sark over there and see what he could do with it.
1: All right, well, let's get to uh Dane. What's your one play takeaway? I think you're taking us away from the playoff games here.
3: Yeah, there were some other games going on. Uh, Earlier that day, we had uh, Georgia with a walk-off field goal to beat Cincinnati, which was a a really fun back and forth game. And I'd say the way Aziz Audulary took over that fourth quarter uh, was something impressive: three sacks, a couple forced fumbles, uh, and he actually declared uh, the the next day. So uh, this is a pass rush class that, you know, we've said it a million times: there's no Chase Young, there's no Miles Garrett. We might not have a top 10 pick at the position, but this guy, Audre Larry, gets me more excited than I think any of these other pass rushers uh, because of the way he can bend that get off burst, the the way he uses his hands at the top of his rush to kind of grease the corner and flatten to the quarterback. Uh, We saw it against Cincinnati and it wasn't the best tackle play. But still, you saw his ability was on full display, and that's why as a redshirt sophomore, he's still able to come out. He led the SEC in sacks, tackles for loss, uh, forced fumbles this year. Uh, He thrived as that Jack linebacker uh, in that Georgia scheme, and I think that might be the biggest question mark is, you know, can he be a hand-on-the-ground rusher in in any scheme? Is he more scheme-specific? I I just know this guy can play. Uh, He can play the run. Uh, he can stand up and rush. He just, it, I think his best football is ahead of him because he's so young, uh, redshirted because he had an ACL uh, senior year uh, in high school. So I'm I mean, really excited for Audre and think that, you know, a team picking in like, say the teens, you look at the 49ers, um, you know, one of the, one of those teams that could use another pass rusher, Audre would be an excellent pickup. Well, it's just uh, one of the,
1: I think the only player, the only play we are going to talk about outside of those playoff games and certainly a name uh, to keep an eye on moving forward, Dane, as you mentioned. Uh, Let's get to our uh, down the road guys here, uh, gentlemen, as we talk about players that were not eligible here for the 2021 NFL draft, but really stood out in a big weekend in college football. And, um, you know, Ben, I'll let you kick things off. I know that you've got a bunch of guys uh, that you want to hit on from this weekend.
2: Yeah, but don't forget, guys, Ojalari did a lot of that work on the backup left tackle for Cincinnati. If you remember, the left tackle got ejected for targeting on that weird play where he lit up Tyson Campbell on the sideline. Couldn't it was a great tackle play, no yeah. no, no, no question. No <laughs> couldn't question. tell if it was malicious or if it was just a 330-pounder with steam and he just couldn't stop and he just melted the corner. But uh, it pained me not to give attention all these Texas A&M sophomores, Kenyon Green, Anaya Smith, uh, Spiller, Weidermeyer. These guys are going to be up and down our big boards next year and the year after that. But Alabama has a safety corner. A lot of people don't know. He's a true sophomore, DeMarco Helms. whereas number 29 played quite a bit over the weekend uh, against Notre Dame. He only has two starts in 2020 week seven against Georgia. And then this past week against Notre Dame, but he played 77 snaps career high true sophomore, pretty much just played special teams last year, but um Played a variety of roles for Alabama. He's a true safety on the back end. Once they get into nickel and dime, he's going to play that money position where he's down guarding slot receivers. He's a blitzer quite often in the box. He's a four-star kid from DeMatha Catholic down there in Maryland, one of our favorite schools, Brian Westbrook. Uh, alum receiver safety didn't know much about him but this number 29 is all over the field he i think he had a sack over the weekend as well uh just a young guy that i had to look up and uh there's always good talent in the middle of that defense on the back end whether it's ronnie harrison's of the world or um you know obviously minkas and just the eddie jacksons and alabama knows how to find those hybrid safety linebackers so you find a safety over the middle of the field alabama young kid write his name down and we'll uh, we'll come back to it later
1: uh, speaking of uh, uh, hybrid safety linebackers, uh, real quick, guys, some breaking news. Jeremiah Wusu koromoa uh, officially entering this draft. Overall thoughts on uh, JOK and, and him officially throwing his hat into the ring?
3: Yeah, I think he adds a an, an very versatile and intriguing linebacker to this class. Uh, you know, Micah Parsons, uh, widely to believe the top linebacker. We haven't seen him in, uh, you know, since last season. Uh, Zaven Collins, with what he did uh, playing so well at Tulsa this year, he's in that first round mix. And then, uh, you know, Nick Bolton at Missouri. Uh, Cormo is right, right there in that mix as as one of the top five linebackers in this class. And it's just... It, going to be an interesting discussion from team to team about, okay, how does he fit what we do? Uh, can we really take advantage of his versatility? Because that's that's why you draft him in the first round, because he could be a three-down player. He can line up over the slot. He can uh, blitz with his explosiveness. He can you know string out runs to the outside. There's so much you can do with him, but you need to make sure that that fits what your defense is willing to do uh, before you invest such a high pick in him. All right, well, let's
1: get to uh, the rest of our down-the-road guys. Uh, Dane, I wanna, I'll come to you next. Uh, who was a, a freshman or sophomore that stood out to you from this weekend?
3: I went with uh, uh, Brian Barisi, uh, the, the Clemson defensive lineman. I mean, it's hard to believe this guy is just a true freshman. Uh, size, power, he's 6'5", 300 pounds, but he moves like a much smaller player, and he just lives in the backfield. It's it's kind of scary when you think about it. He's probably only going to get stronger, probably only going to get quicker as he grows, and they kind of develop his flexibility and his technique as uh, you know they bring him up through that strength and conditioning program. Uh, it's no wonder why he was the number one recruit uh, in the nation. It's, it's not hard to spot special, and I, I think this kid has that. Uh, real quick, I,
1: I'll go through a guy that just he didn't play a ton the other night, but he flashed to me while I was watching, you know, watching the game on TV, and then there were plays uh on uh, social media that popped up as well uh Paris Johnson the the guard for Ohio State true freshman uh was moving people and he was he was moving guys against their will uh in the run game from Ohio State we saw a bunch of those runs from Trey sermon who by the way has really helped himself uh for sure over the last couple of weeks the Ohio State running back uh, but Paris Johnson out in front on a couple of those uh
2: was moving people uh in some of the, I think he had to come in he played like 10 snaps to replace the other young kid Matthew Jones 55 yep. who is a true sophomore. More that they've been obviously working some things out at that left guard spot uh, but just really impressive two young kids
1: yeah they'll have uh you know they'll have some some guys in the pipeline for sure for when Myers and uh and Wyatt take off for the NFL all right guys let's get to our uh film recaps guys that we've uh, studied on film over the last couple of weeks that we wanted to bring to the table Ben uh I'll come to you first who was the the guy that you studied
2: over the last week well, we're going to go back to that Cincy, Georgia game and uh, take a look at Desmond Ritter. Really interesting quarterback right now. Nearly knocked off Georgia until his uh, left tackle got ejected and Ojalari ruined the game on him. But he's an interesting kid. And he's really grouped up in this next tier of quarterbacks after the kind of sexy six, you know, with uh, Mac Jones and Trey Lance and Kyle Trask and that group. But that next tier trying to figure out the Jamie Newmans, the Kellen Mons and Desmond Ritter who's 6'4", 215, redshirt junior, he could go back, uh, although I think his draft stock is kind of maxed out right now. I think he should come out. Uh, this year in 2020, improve his completion percentage by nearly 10 percentage points, not nearly as many drops by the receiving core, got the ball out so much faster. He had a great freshman year, it was the AAC freshman of the year. 2019, got a little greedy, started throwing the ball down the field a little bit, wouldn't take the easy completions, the underneath stuff. His completion percentage uh, and efficiency really suffered because of that. But. Primarily shotgun system, RPO base, he's tall, he's thin, he's got a good frame size. The variety of arm angles are really fun. It's right up there with kind of the way Zach Wilson plays and you have to be loose in the pocket in the NFL and college uh, things aren't always pretty you got to be able to get that ball out under duress and uh, around the trees of the defensive lineman but uh, in combination with the different arm angles he understands different trajectories and throwing paths he knows when to throw a touch and drop it in the bucket he could throw with velocity he understands his eyes and his movement patterns he has a couple plays that are a little bit like Matthew Stafford and Mahomes, where he's looking right and whipping a seam back to the left where he's really trying to manipulate defenders with his eyes a couple QB design runs not an over the top exceptional athlete but good enough you can do the qb design stuff the zone reads he can get out of trouble as he did a bunch of out of structure plays against georgia some are a little too backyardy in my opinion even that touchdown down in the red zone a little too backyardy but it's nice to know he can do it against sec speed like the georgia bulldogs so he can escape the trouble when he needs to i've seen him make throws 60 yards going left unfortunately it was dropped what you get it, it an aac receivers some of the issues not a huge arm, doesn't rip wow tight window throws, uh, especially when those coverages get tighter, his accuracy is just way too inconsistent, struggles a little bit under pressure and throwing under duress, just doesn't always make the right quick decision either. So uh, I think he has a lot of tools, a lot of ability. He's been a three-year starter. I think this Georgia game was really a great stage for him and say, I can beat you know the who's who of college football. And I think he could be one of the early day three quarterbacks that come off the board and maybe, you know, sit for a year or two uh, in an NFL quarterback room. Hmm. Yeah. He's a guy I know that's gotten a lot of buzz we'll continue to watch uh, his development. And I compared him just before I finished. I yeah. think he's a more NFL ready version of Jordan love. And if you just think about what Jordan love was the past years at Utah state, I just thought Ritter was a little bit better in structure, in rhythm. They both obviously have the looseness, the athleticism, out of structure, out of the pocket, throwing on the run. However, does that mean I think Desmond Ritter is a first-round pick because Jordan Love was a first-round pick? No. I think Jordan Love, I had a third-round grade on Jordan Love. I have Ritter in a similar conversation, just a you know a, maybe a tier or two back because of the quarterback class. So I think third, fourth round would be a good spot for Ritter. Beautiful. Well, let's get to uh,
1: our last two players here before we get to on the clock. Uh, Dane, I'll let you uh, go next here. Who was the guy that uh, you studied over the last week?
3: Yeah, and just real quick on Ritter. Uh, Scouts uh, expect him to come out, but I've also heard from scouts that they think Luke Fickle is a very uh, persuasive uh, coach. So just something to watch for with Ritter, but they do expect him to declare. Um, I went with Richard LeCount. uh, Have you done Ritter,
2: Dane? Have you done him at all?
3: Yeah, I, I, I... the lack of accuracy downfield worries me. It seems like the, every for every five yards, the accuracy drops a little bit, um, and that worries me a little bit. Uh, but I, you're talking about a big athlete who's got quick feet, he's got a good arm. Um, he plays a little too loose for me in terms of the way that, uh, you know, he makes decisions, and uh, I, 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 I like him as a development prospect, like w- what you're saying. Third, fourth round. I think that's probably the area where he's going to go. Um, and you know, you're looking at this class, this quarterback class. You got the top four, uh, and then you've got Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, and, and then you've got a couple interesting development guys uh, and Ritters right there in that mix. I mean, him and Davis Mills from Stanford are the two quarterbacks that really intrigue me when you consider the price tag. Uh, and that's, you know, in, in somewhere in the middle round. So uh if I can't get one of these top quarterbacks, Ritter or Davis Mills from Stanford be the two quarterbacks that I'd, I'd look to as a
2: plan. I B get more excited M- about them than like a Brock Purdy or Sam Ellinger, which are all oh, yeah. that same kind no. of boat right there. Yeah.
3: Yeah, no e- easy. I, to me, there's a big, I would much rather have Mills or uh, Ritter than Purdy who, and Purdy I think is going back to school and Ellinger I like, but he's, he's more of a late round guy for me. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, Dane, who was, uh, who was the player you wanted to bring up? Uh, I went with Richard LeCount who um, uh, finished up his career at Georgia this past weekend. He, he missed the second half of the year because he had a, he was involved in a motorcycle accident, um, but he was actually able to get on the field for one play just to kind of cap off his career uh, for the Bulldogs. He reminds me a lot of a, maybe an undersized Marquise Blair uh, you know, who is a I it, second round pick of the Seahawks a couple years ago out of Utah. Uh, he's not quite as long and lanky as Blair was, uh, but he's at, just had, he has the same amount of energy, the same amount of athleticism. He plays decisive. He has range. Uh, sometimes that over-aggressiveness, uh, will hurt him and he'll find himself uh, out of, out of, uh, position. There's a little bit too much feast or famine, but I tell you what, the feast is fun uh, to watch because he he plays with so much play speed, uh, the energy that he plays with. So you just you have to live with the inconsistencies, but you love everything else. And so uh, I think he could be a potentially maybe a fifth defensive back for a team, uh, maybe play that nickel role or come off the bench. And. Uh, be a guy that's going to help help an offense as long as the medicals are good or help a defense as long as the medicals uh, check out because he is a little bit undersized he is coming off this this motorcycle accident where he had a concussion a shoulder sprain uh, bruised ribs a whole bunch of things so uh, it'll be interesting to see what he does this draft process to see what uh, he can do to help himself
1: He is scheduled to go to Mobile for the Senior Bowl. We'll see uh, ultimately how much he partakes in that event. The one guy that I wanted to bring up is also heading down to the Senior Bowl, and that's UCLA defensive tackle Osa Odigizua. I was a big fan of his brother Owamabe a few years ago, and Owamabe did not work out. He ended up being a third-round pick to the Giants. But uh, I look at Osa, and I I do see some similarities in their game. I mean, you look at him, he's 6'2", 279, he played a lot in as a as kind of a 3-4 defensive end. What I like about it is that he got there before that current staff and, and you know what Chip Kelly and Jerry Azanaro look for along the defensive line. They're looking for the big oak trees. They're looking for guys that can see up over the offensive line, 6 foot 5, really long arms. They found a way for Osa to be able to be effective. And he also embraced that scheme and said, okay, I'm going to take to the coaching. He's very technically sound at the point of attack. He's a run defender first, but he's got disruptive ability. And one of the things that stands out to me about Osa Digizua is that Number one, never on the ground. He's got really impressive balance. He's got great flexibility, center of gravity. He could turn the corner at the top of the rush, but he's always upright. And then you dig into his background a little bit. He's like, oh, well, he was a three-time state champion wrestler. He won 131 straight matches in the state of Oregon. So, yeah, okay, that, that balance and uh, that flexibility and that center of gravity, that all makes sense there. But then you look at his ability in the past game. Good snap anticipation. The production was solid, 27 starts. He had 27 and a half tackles for loss. He had 11 and a half sacks. He had the ability to get after the quarterback, and he was consistently productive over the course of his career. Really effective on stunts, a um, lot of two- and three-man games, uh, and that's part of the reason why I think he was able to find a way uh, to be effective in that scheme was you know they didn't just ask him, hey, just go win, on, win, uh, go win one-on-one on the inside at 279. They kept him on the move. I think he's an intriguing player, guys. And I think, honestly, you know, we've talked a lot about how this defensive tackle class may leave a little bit to be desired. I think if you look at him, you look at uh, Onzarique, you look at Jay Tufele and Jalen Twyman, those two guys aren't going to the senior bowl, but you look at Odigizua, you look at Onsarike. I kind of wonder, like, are those guys going to be kind of battling out to be one of the top defensive tackles off the board? And we'll see what happens with Christian Barmore in this class. But uh, I think that you know, when you look at Odigie Zua, at the end of the day, he could be one of the first interior guys to come off the board. I don't know if either of you guys have done him yet, but I came away on Sunday after – yeah, Sunday watching him. I was pretty impressed.
3: I think he's like a starting three technique. I think so.
1: I thought that he could play three. I thought he could play one because he's got that ability to play at the point of attack. He, he was not a guy that, uh, you, know, w- you know, struggled in terms of taking on double teams. Um, so I do think he could play some one. But, you know, certainly at that size, uh, he's really light on his feet. And I think he's got that ability to disrupt. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he could play the three as well.
2: I think he had a really good mix of kind of being quick off the ball and also being really powerful off the ball. Yep. It's like each snap, some of those clips that you had sent me, Fran, it's like I didn't know which version of him I was going to get on a down to down basis, which is a great trait to have for an interior defensive lineman to be able to win multiple ways. I thought some of those clips actually reminded me of that big guy to North Carolina a couple of years ago. Is it Nazir Jones? Yeah, sure. Him, that's kind of way it kind of flashed and the way his body type looked. Yeah, I could see
1: that for sure. Uh, no, I I was really impressed with uh, Odigizuo. I think he's a guy certainly uh, that we can keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, guys, you know, you know the drill. We've got three more names uh, to cover. We've covered a lot so far, but let's go on the clock.
4: On
2: the clock.
1: All right, guys, let's get down to business here with our on the clock. And we are going to now turn our focus to the national championship game. Next Monday night, we've got – the Alabama, Alabama Crimson Tide. We've got the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, we talked about how these teams looked earlier in the episode. But we're now going to look forward to this game. And really with the the one thought of this, who is the one player who is – and I couched this by saying non-quarterback. So we're going to take Justin Fields and Mac Jones out of the equation here. Who is the one player who can help themselves the most with a big performance on Monday night in this game, because we know the quarterbacks, you know, under the lights, they absolutely can help themselves most. So take those guys out. Who are the guys that can help themselves most in this matchup? Now, Ben's going to go first. I'm going to go second. Dane, you've got the caboose. We've got a tight race here. I don't know. I don't know how many more of these we've got. Maybe we'll do one more after the national title game uh, this week. Um, But, We'll uh, we'll get things rolling here, uh, CMAC. If you want to uh, introduce Ben, we'll uh, we'll get things going here.
4: I, I just want to know whose heart am I going to break this week, and, and I'm I'm sad at the thought. You know, Happy New Year to you fellas. and I'm sad that the, we're going to ring in the new year and we're going to cut this game off. So, no, uh,
1: it's a tough decision to make, but we're going to uh, we'll see how this one goes over the next couple of weeks. Well, Well, I've been sliding
2: a little bit. New year, new me. So we're going to take a new approach here. We're going with Alabama defensive tackle Christian Barmore. It's two two ways to talk about this. Number one, a bit of recency bias with these types of players ascending in the back half of the season into the draft uh, stock. You just remember Daron Payne having a huge championship game against Georgia really got after Jake Fromm actually had an interception that game had a receiving touchdown ended up, you know, squeezing to the front half around one a couple of months later redshirt sophomore, just like Quinn and Williams two years ago, had a really good uh, run into the national championship game. Unfortunately lost that game against Clemson, but he was a dominant force and really showed what he can do to NFL scouts. And it's happened over and over again, whether it's Marcel Darius MVP of the championship game years back, Nick Fairley, defensive player of the game and uh, his championship against Oregon when him and uh, Cam Newton won the championship at Auburn, these guys, if you have the impact plays on these national stages, in the playoff games, national championships, it just creates more of a ripple effect for your stock. And Christian Barmore played a career-high 58 snaps last week against Notre Dame, a career-high seven quarterback pressures. He started the season a little slow, C-Mac, after high, high expectations of a redshirt freshman that just flashed last year, but we were expecting a big jump this year. A little slow out of the gate, but he's really picking up, and I think he's the perennial kind of number one interior defensive tackle in this class. It's just a matter of where do you take him? I see a lot of mock drafts. He's squeezing into the back half of round one, a lot of green Bay at 30, 31, 32. I think with a dominant performance in this national championship game, he's going to solidify himself in the middle of round one back where he was kind of projected to start the season. So a lot to talk about there, but Christian Barmore, I think with a big game and a couple splash plays, maybe sacking, uh, Justin Fields a couple times, uh, making some big plays on national TV. I think he can really, uh, solidify himself as a first mid first round pick.
4: The big thing for me there, man, was what is his current, you know, mock draft? you know, where is he expected to go versus Where could he project to Dane? What wh- do you agree, disagree with the evaluation of terms of where he's at now, where he might go to?
3: Yeah, I mean, Barbour is interesting. I'll, I agree with pretty much everything that uh, that Ben said because he's been the top defensive tackle uh, from, from the summer until now. It's just more of a question of, okay, where do you take him? Uh, based off of September, October, probably day two. But based off of November and December, I, I think he's put himself in that first round mix. And so, yeah, we're talking, okay, is he going to be late first round or can he get inside that top 20 I think that's something that he could potentially help himself by uh, how he performs in this game.
4: Uh, Fran, the, 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 I was just, I want to ask you this, Fran. Where is he? You know, because last year, you know, Derek Brown, Javon Kinlaw, those guys were kind of you know locks to be in that you know first twelve to fifteen picks of the draft. How can we haven't heard Barmore in that in that discussion?
1: Well, we talked about him in this segment a couple of times. I feel like he was like my vote for best defensive tackle, or one that translated best to the NFL, or best. You know, we we had a couple of those discussions early in the year. But the, to paint the full picture on him, he was a backup last year. And you looked at the small sample size, and that was one of the things that uh, my cohorts here uh, knocked me on was that he had that small sample size. He only played, what was it, like 170 snaps or something like that a year ago. So you were really projecting what he could be because he was dominant in that sample size. So now he became a three-down player uh, when they lost you know, some of the guys that they had on that front. And so now the early returns, as Dane mentioned, were okay. They weren't great. I know know, Ben has said multiple times on the show he was a little bit unimpressive to start the season, but then you're starting to see that upward climb, and he's been a little bit better here down the stretch, and now, as Ben mentioned, I mean, if he has a big game, you start to build that buzz now going into a pre-draft process, but keep in mind, again, only a redshirt sophomore.
2: And just to be clearly, you know, transparent here, I don't think he should come out. He's only a redshirt sophomore. However... I didn't think Quinn and Williams should have come out either as a redshirt sophomore, but your stock starts ascending at the right time of the season, right into that national championship game, into the draft season. You're the darling. All of a sudden you're getting that buzz. Hey, you're a first round pick and it makes sense to come out and go be a professional. So I think it's still a little bit up in the air whether he's going to come out or not, but I think the performance in this game will then affect his stock and eventually affect his decision
4: especially how much higher can he go? If he's going to be top 15, top 10, if he's going to get into the Derek Brown and Williams discussion for that, Area of the draft, but if
2: he hears, "Hey, I'm a day two. I'm getting a day two grade." That may be a bad taste in his mouth and Nick Saban's mouth, and say, "You know what? You need to go and prove uh, on this season. Come back and let's get you into that front half of round one next year." Which he's been very
3: good at doing in the past. No way. question. Yeah. And I think the wrinkle here too is it's just not a very good defensive tackle class uh, in too, terms yeah. of top forty, top fifty guys. And so uh, you know, Barmore, even if he doesn't feel great about coming out the fact that it's just not a strong class at the top might influence his decision and could influence where
4: he's drafted. Look at that, Dane helping Ben out there, you know, helping to pad the argument. Frank, what do you got? Number two here.
1: Uh, so I, I'm going to ride the wave here as well with a, a guy that is a similar kind of situation to Barmore, but at a more high profile position. And that's at corner. I'm going to go with Ohio State's Sean Wade, who uh, we've talked about numerous times in this segment over the course of the season. He was the projection c because he was the slot corner as a you know six foot, no, over six foot corner playing on the inside uh, in 2019. Well, now that Jeffrey Okuda and those guys are all gone for Ohio State, now he's going to make that transition back outside returns for much of the season have not not been kind to Sean Wade and the last uh, latest example of that was just this past week against Clemson uh, you know Cornell Powell gave him everything he could handle on the outside for the Clemson Tigers and there were plenty of replays that were not kind on social media for uh, for Sean Wade so i think ultimately when you look at him going into this matchup Look, he's a redshirt junior. He could decide he wants to go back. He opted out initially from this season and opted back in once Ohio State, you know, declared, you know, said that they were going to play football this year. So he's got his eyes on the NFL. So if you're looking at Sean Wade and say, all right, like if this is your final game, what better way to really have your draft stock explode than to have a big game, make some big plays against maybe the best player in all of college football this year, and that's in Devontae Smith, who is probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. we spent plenty of time talking about Devontae Smith all fall. I think when you look at Sean Wade and say, this is a great opportunity, again, at a position that we know gets drafted high. Everybody's looking for corners. And in this class, I think you know you've we've got a couple guys at the very top in Caleb Farley and Patrick Sertan, and then you've got some other guys in the first-round mix. You know, you're talking about J.C. Horn, and there's some other guys there. But who, who else can step in there? You know, who's gonna be the sleeve, who's gonna be the Trayvon Mullen who's gonna sneak in there uh in the first round? Who's gonna be the Damon Arnett that sneaks into 20? If you've got that great way to end the season, who knows with Sean Wade? The, the, the film has not been great all season long. But if you can, if people say, look, I saw what he did against Devontae Smith, against Alabama, I saw what he did against the best pass game in all of college football, I think that could do wonders for his stock. So to me, I look at this and say, this is a huge opportunity for Sean Wade to do some big-time damage control uh, and really help, help elevate his stock
3: moving into the preseason.
4: Dane, where is he going in the mocks right now?
3: Uh, it, it, he's, he's an enigma. Um, I, I, look, I, I agree with Fran. Like, there's no question that Wade could help himself. Um, but I guess, I don't know, my, my one critique here would be just how realistic is it? And because uh, Wade has been nothing short of a disaster. I right? mean, Fran was being nice by saying it's his film has not been great. Um, I mean, he, his film has just been flat out bad. Uh, he's clearly not comfortable outside Rutgers was burning him. Clemson had a field day, even his interception against Michigan state. Uh, he was way out of position and the quarterback just threw a bad ball. So now he has to face Devonte Smith and this Alabama group. It's just, I don't know. We haven't seen Wade play a positive game at outside corner ever. So how realistic is it that he could do it? And even if he does, is I, and I, as good as Alabama's receivers are including DeVonte Smith even if he does play say you know a solid game at outside corner is that going to be enough to erase all of the bad tape uh whether it's against Clemson or earlier this year because he doesn't have any good tape at outside corner yet so is it, i know it's going to be on the big stage and against a really good offense but even if he ha- does have a solid game is that going to be enough to Convince a team that, oh, hey, maybe he can play outside corner. I just I have a tough time believing that.
4: All right. On that note, Dane, you get the final pick here.
3: All right. Uh, so I'm going with Chris Olave, uh, Ohio State wide receiver, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell. I think they're comfortably the top three. Uh, all three could go top 12. And then the order of say receivers four through 12 are, are going to be all over the place. And Olave's somewhere in there in that mix. Uh, I feel comfortable saying Chris Olavi is going to be a top 70 type of pick, Uh, but there's a big difference between going number 25 and then going number 70. And Olavi, uh, he could be anywhere in that mix. I mean, 6'1", 188 pounds, doesn't have those elite physical tools that teams love, Uh, very lean-muscled. I don't think he's going to run a blazing 40-yard dash. But what makes Alave so appealing are his feet. Uh, there's no gear down needed uh, out of his route breaks. His body control is outstanding. Uh, the, that shows in his releases, uh, you know, the way that he runs his routes, the catch point, And then he's got outstanding hands. And so in a lot of ways, uh, he, he's kind of a taller, not quite as sudden version of Devontae Smith uh, in some ways. So the size, the testing might not be great you rely on the tape with Olave. And so to improve his draft stock, he needs to show it on the field and the stage, the competition won't get any bigger than this title game. Alabama's Patrick Sertan could be the first corner drafted. Uh, Josh job uh, on the other side, he's in the top 100 conversation uh, as a junior corner if he comes out. So Alabama's got the best corners that Ohio State's going to face all season. Uh, I mean, Justin Fields looks like a different quarterback when Olave is out there. We saw that. Uh, you know, Northwestern game to the Clemson game, the big difference there because Olave didn't play uh, in the Northwestern game. So if they're able, uh, those two players, Fields and Olave, are able to create explosive plays against that tied secondary, that's going to directly bump Olave's stock. And who knows, with a standout performance, maybe it bumps him into being one of the top five receivers in this class.
4: Pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Ben, have you seen, sort of like going back to the Sean Wade argument, do we have proof that Olave can do this? That we can get a big game out of him? Obviously, you know, had a stellar performance the other night in the semifinal, but throughout the course of the season, is there, you know, consistent evidence that he can produce this big on a big stage.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's not a high-volume guy in the offense. They don't force feed on the ball, but what he's put on tape last year, this year, uh, showing up in big games we saw last week, obviously, uh, was the gold standard. But he's really lumped together with that next tier of receivers in the back end of round one, maybe early day two with, you know, Rashad Bateman and Jalen Waddell and where do you put Rondell Moore and Kadarius Toney. The rest of the season's the bed right now. If he has a big game or that maybe that clutch catch in the red zone or that catch and run uh, play that really turns heads or turns the tides, these are the types of games and moments and impact plays that really kind of separate those boards or those players on the boards that you have very close grades with. So Olave, after last week, is obviously ascending uh, You know, into that back end of round one. Two names I have written down in his evaluation are Stevie Johnson and Keenan Allen for a style of route running, explosiveness, lankiness, uh, and just production at the next level, I think uh, any team would be really excited to have Olave in their receiver room. Now the question is, where do you take him in the this draft? This
4: is really, really, really good. Really, really good debate. The last few weeks have been special. It's it's, it's tough to separate here. I'm going to take Sean away out of the discussion. I think that's the first one I'm going to clear out. And, and the main reason I think Dane you know, kind of brought this up is that there's not enough previous evidence that, you know, that he could pull off a performance like this.
1: He's got more room uh, to go. He's got, yeah, more, he's
2: got the, more yardage gained. The bar is so low. <laughs> yeah, he has sandbagging. He has so much room to go up.
4: The, the interesting thing, okay, the interesting thing with Olave is going to be, if he has a huge performance, is it just going to become, well, Justin Fields has, you know, cemented himself as the number two guy. Is it more going to push Fields than help Olave? Then you go to Barmore. And the question is, can he, you know, is this Ohio state offensive line good enough to say, ah, that was a valid performance or are you just going to say it was on a big stage? Um, so my final result, the, the game, you know, we're going to go back in time here a little bit. Uh, I'm going to think back, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, guys like Nick Fairley, Ben brought up another performance was in Dominican Sioux and Nebraska. Um, his final college game where he was a one man wrecking crew and you just said to yourself, this is like, you know, a franchise altering player. He's gonna be a huge star for someone. Obviously I'm not expecting Barmore to be on that level, but if you're seeing the ascension, he had come off a great performance against Notre Dame. And if he's already the top guy in this class and can really, you know, on on the biggest of all stages, put himself in that discussion, I'm gonna go with Christian Barmore here. So Ben, starting the new year right. Going to give you the win here. Give you a little dub action here. But I think Dane's argument for Olave was, was very good, too. I, I think the fact that he's kind of in that second group of receivers and that, you know, if he has a huge performance, you know, all of a sudden maybe you're, he's in that discussion with those those top three receivers. But I, the, at the end of the day, I wonder if that's going to become more, well, just Justin Fields is that, is that good. That almost helps his case more than Olave. So Christian Barmore will be my pick here. Ben, get the win.
2: That's fair. I appreciate that victory. And I think you could tell by all of our tones, we all kind of agree with each other and they all have great opportunities, whether it's, you know, Sean Wade against Devontae Smith, Alave against Patrick Sertan, you know, Christian Barmore going up against, you know, Myers or Wyatt Davis, interior line, Ohio State. It's all elite versus elite. So it's great opportunities for all of them. And I can really envision any of them having that big impact moment, uh, you know, on national TV.
4: Here's the thing with Wade also was that, Obviously if he were to hold the production for Smith down it would be incredible but it's like could he also come up with like an interception or a pick six you know it's something that really is going to be one of those defining moments of the game it would be impressive to say he holds smith to three catches for 30 yards i mean that in and of itself would be incredible since smith is likely the win the heisman but uh if he i feel you need to have some kind of more impact play to really set yourself apart to really kind of jump the stock there. So
3: no. well, I, I, hey, no. bottom, I think bottom line is uh, if you give NFL scouts truth serum, they'll tell you performances on this type of stage, they matter a little bit more than the body of work. So uh, this is an opportunity for a lot of guys to uh, potentially show out and, and show why they need to, uh, or why they might be drafted a little bit higher than we think right now.
1: Well, we will, uh, all three of us will be breaking this one down uh, as we get into next week's episode. Guys, as always, thanks again for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll talk to you all next week. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the draft mailbag. Well, great stuff there from Chris, from Dane, from Ben. Hope you guys have enjoyed uh, those conversations all season long. Let's wrap this show up with our draft mailbag. As always, quick reminder, go into Apple Podcasts. Leave us that rating. Leave us that comment. Really appreciate everybody who has done that recently. And this week, we're going to go over to a question from Young, Gifted, and Black, who left a five-star review who said, after listening to a recent podcast, you talked about left guard Isaac Samalo's versatility on the offensive line. And recently, the positive things said about left tackle Jordan Mailata have led me to thinking about Andre Dillard's potential versatility if Milata ends up being the long-term left tackle. Greg Cosella suggested that he didn't think Dillard could play guard based on college and rookie year tape, but given the supposed improvements in size and strength, now that reportedly he's up over 330 pounds, is there something, or is there enough, rather, that there could be a candidate for left guard if Kelsey retires and Isaac Samalo moves into center? So, uh, loaded question there. To me, this is the big thing. I think there's a, a very big difference between between tackle and guard, guard and center. We talk all the time about how it's hard to go from left side to right side. It is hard as well and there are different challenges to move from you know from changing positions, going from tackle to guard, things are going to happen a little bit faster on the inside. You're taking different kinds of sets. You're dealing with different body types going across from you in terms of defensive tackles and interior linemen versus uh, the edge rushers that you're going to see more often than not uh, out at tackle. Uh, you can get away with certain inconsistencies in your game at tackle that you can't get away with at guard and vice versa. By the way, so uh, I think that really you know when you talk about who's a, a guy that can fit that skill set at tackle versus who can fit it at guard? You're going to have to have you know some of those gives and takes there. I think to, with me with Andre Dillard, we'll have to see. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how the Eagles decide to handle the left tackle position moving forward. You know they want to give Andre Dillard obviously that opportunity. Jordan did a nice job here this year uh, at the left tackle spot. We saw a lot of really good things from a young, very inexperienced, like absurdly inexperienced player uh, playing really his first football. Uh, really, really impressive flashes from Jordan Milada, but. Five guys play right along the offensive line, and that's why we always talk about that versatility that you mentioned there with Isaac Sayamali. You know, some guys have that ability to flip from left to right. Dwylata has played both left and right tackle. Can he make that transition to guard? Can Dillard make that transition to guard? It's gonna be very, very interesting. It is a good problem to have if when you have a bunch of talented offensive linemen, because guess what? Everybody's looking for talented offensive linemen. So the Eagles played a lot of them this year. Uh, they were, Their their depth was absolutely tested with, what was it, 14 different offensive line starting combinations in 16 games, which is uh, an NFL record. But I think ultimately uh, when you look at the tackle spot, it will certainly be one of the big storylines outside of quarterback that I think everybody in Philadelphia will be following. If you've got another question for me, it could be Eagles-related, but it can also be about another NFL team, about a position, about a mock draft that you did. Whatever you've got, you can send it our way over on our Apple podcast page. Appreciate everybody that has done that so far. That being said, we'll be back a little bit later this week. We'll be previewing further this national championship game between Ohio State and Alabama. We'll have a special guest. We'll have Ross Tucker back. We'll be pre- breaking it all down later this week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by A.